The following program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to The Real Money Show. My name is Jeremy Wiseman. I'm joined by Darren Long. The phone number one eight seven seven eight silver the website guildhallwealth.com. We're going to be talking about hard assets and why we believe you should have hard assets in your portfolio, especially during these uncertain times. For our listeners, Darren, that, uh, that are, are with us often, we need to talk about the Argyle mine. We have been promising almost for years that this mine is going to close and as a result, 90% of the world's pink diamonds will no longer be available. Even over the last couple of years, they've become less and less available as those who have good quality pink diamonds have obviously pushed them back to the safe. But you have some news right now that really puts the nail in the coffin of this mining operation in Australia. I do. And as our listeners well know, over the years, we've discussed it to the nth degree. And we believe wholly in the idea of ownership of pink diamonds and the value of having that type of investment and what it has brought so far for owners that do currently have pink diamonds has been tremendous. And it continues to grow in terms of reasons to own. And it is hard to find them, hard to come across them, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the news is very important because if you're new to the show, the Rio Tinto-owned Argyle Mine in Western Australia in the Kimberley region is, in fact, the largest single producer of pink diamonds in the world. In fact, it accounts for roughly 90% of all pinks coming out of the ground. And for years, we've been talking about the idea that they have uh, just basically come to the end of their ore supplies and digging the ground, and the mining operation went from an above ground to a below ground. And you've done most of the research on this, Darren, I've seen over the years that you've tracked, um, you know, you did a great article, I guess it was about two years ago, that showed how basically they were moving less and less ore over the over the years, and that in 2018, it was really minimal amount of dirt that they were moving. And uh, I'm not sure if this is part and parcel with the fact that they'd gone from open pit mining to uh, tunnel mining at that point, but you could see that it was less and less with every passing year. Well, in fact, not only was it less and less, Jeremy, but in 2006, when we first started looking at uh, pink diamonds and bringing them to the attention of our clients, they had around above ground or reserves. And this is basically, for lack of a better term, a layman uh, uh, definition is just the amount of dirt they have piled above the ground where they can potentially draw from in order to get the diamonds into the processing plants. They had around 106 million tons. And that, at the time, was considered a very, very big pile of dirt. You can imagine how much that is. Uh, fast forward to 2018, when I last wrote this article and updated it in spring of 2018. And in fact, that was down to just uh, approximately 15 million tons. So it had fallen from 106 down to 15 and basically meant the pile was coming to an end. So at that point in time, we started acknowledging that the things we had heard over the years about the possibility of the mine closing were, in fact, real. And when they were moving, how, how many did you say? A uh, hundred million? 106 million 100, when we started looking at it. Okay, when they were moving 106 million, the amount of diamonds that they would pull out that would be in the VS quality would fill a champagne glass, well, I, a teacup. Just the amount of, of quality diamonds, period, might fill a, a champagne glass, if you're lucky, in an entire year. 
Right, exactly. And that was with that amount of ore. So once they've moved down to next to nothing, you could imagine that there you could you can now see why we were why as a firm Guildhall was seeing less and less diamonds every year of the VS quality that we're used to. VS meaning I clean. That's right. So you don't really need to worry if you're looking at the diamond, you won't see any marks on the diamond or whatever its imperfections are can't be seen by the naked eye usually. And ultimately, when we get to the end point, which is now approaching, uh, we were one of the only firms, if not the only firm in Canada, that was discussing it at this level and, and talking about it and researching, researching it. And it was being done so frequently that, in fact, I ended up getting into even Facebook groups of former employees at the Argyle Mine, which yes. I know for a fact no other jewelers were doing, no other diamond tears were doing, no other people that were in the investment arena were doing, because I saw all the members, and there were all people there, and I had to beg and plead to get in and act as if I was an employee, you, as an investigative person. You were literally infiltrating the Argyle Miners Network to it find was. out what was going was. on. And part of that was because... You know, I could understand our listeners' frustration, perhaps, in a way, because we've been saying for years, this mine is going to close. That's right. We thought 2018, 19 was really going to be it, but your research has shown that that is not, that this year really is the the cherry on top. This is it. It's over. The, it is. The, the final curtain is dropping on the Argyle mine, and how do we finally know this? Well, again, there are numerous things that are happening. One, uh, back in 2016, when I started doing a lot of research on this, the pods, meaning the areas where employees would live, this is a very large operation, there were thousands and thousands of employees, uh, where they would live, because this is a very remote region, those pods started shrinking. So by satellite images, you started seeing less and less of these pods, and they were reclaiming the land. So that process began in Ernst back then of the reclamation projects that are going to be put forward to bring the land back to green and to its original state. So those projects began a long time ago. And again, they don't have to publicize this. They just went about their way in the annual tender that they held every year with their prized uh, 50 to 60 lots of diamonds, including the hero stones, kept going on every year. And that's still to this day going to be the case for at least this year and maybe next. What's the, what's the tender going to look like this this year, I mean, I, I, I have to assume that they do not want to travel to New York on this on this one. Well, the press release was issued from Rio Tinto themselves seven days ago from the day we record today, uh, taping on Thursday. And um, this year, uh, they are going to have uh, a virtual preview to begin the process uh, of all of them. How 2020 of them? Absolutely. And again, it's imitation only. It'll be a very exclusive group of collectors and connoisseurs and investors alike. And um, it's going to be... As they said, only from this year's production, and they've always maintained that the tender always comes, the stones in the tender auction, the hero stones and the lots that come are only from that year's production. We don't know if that's the case or not, uh, but it's going to be one of the most well-bid auctions that they've ever had. In fact, this one, and if they have one more next year, after they cease operations from the stones that they got near the end of this year, uh, in the closing portion of it, or any ore that hasn't been refined, will be the two most exciting and most paid per carats. It's anticipated by everyone involved. And, and on that note, we've seen, I think it was not this past year, but the year before, we saw some really big 
entities come in and try to buy up a lot of the a lot of the the tender lots and basically outbid usually it would be 30% starting higher right so every year everyone bidding at these at the tender auction would basically just say what did we pay last year okay let's start 30% higher that should be a a a, a good goalpost there someone came in and bid even higher than that so that they could grab even more this just tells you I mean let's get into the nitty-gritty we have to find out when is this mine closing and what kind of money can we make owning these things but this just tells you that the fact that people are willing to overbid by tens of percent starting 30 percent higher every year and going even above that in the last couple tenders shows you the type of money that can be made in these markets that those in the know are willing to take those risks. Well, not only are they willing to take the risk, Jeremy, but they are viewing the risk to be a better risk than many other alternatives in the alternative asset world. They are buying that above and beyond uh, alternative types of in paper investments, above uh, development projects. They're being sought after in a much more mainstream fashion. And you're right. The type of bidder has changed dramatically. And you and Paul both experienced that process. You've been to Hong Kong with him to be part of the bidding process. And we have had our fair share of troubles over the recent last years, not troubles, but difficulties ascertaining those diamonds. So you always have to go from a partner perspective. If you don't get your primary choice, is there a partner out there that you can work with in order to bring something to your clientele? And that's what's happened. And believe it or not, between 2010, 2020, the average uptick in uh, in auction value of any of the Argyles, so um, reported so by Rachmanoff uh, at uh, Fancy Color Diamond uh, Research Foundation, um, was approximately thirty to thirty five percent uptick per year. And again, that's at that auction level, and it just bodes well for what leans forward from here. So sixty two lots. 57 carats and change, six hero lots, and for the first time in recent memory, of the hero stones, two of them have fancy gray tints to them. And this is not something we're used to seeing. Uh, to seeing. Fancy gray uh, um, uh, violet and fancy gray pink. So this is an interesting collection for sure. The pictures are out. We'll be posting something about it. And in their report, you ask the original question, the most important, how do we really know that this is it? Yep. From Rio Tinto themselves, the following paragraph. Titled One Lifetime, One Encounter, the 2020 Argyle Pink Diamonds Tender takes its reference from the closure of the iconic mine at the end of 2020 after almost four decades of production. If that doesn't bode well for you as an investor in terms of what the potential of a pink diamond is right now before the rest of the world gets heat of this, then I'm not sure what else we can put in front of a real investor. Darren, I'd like you to read that one more time because for years we've been looking for a source that would give us that confirmation mm -hmm. that this mine is actually closing. And even when, even with everything that you said, all of the research that you've given over the last few minutes, 
it's still been one of those things that will they will they push it another year? Can you please read it very quickly one more time? And then in the next segment, we'll talk about the type of gains we've seen personally at Guildhall. The 2020 Argyle Pink Diamonds tender takes its reference from the closure of the iconic mine at the end of 2020 after almost four decades of production. Well, there you go. This mine is closing this year. What a year to be closing on the website, guildhallwealth.com. Go visit some of the diamonds that we have up on the site right now. The, the number 18778 silver. Let's talk about the gains in the pink diamond market and why we love it so much in the next segment. You're listening to The Real Money Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to The Real Money Show, the website, guildhallwealth.com. You can learn about investing in precious metals, natural fancy colored diamonds which we are talking about right now and the reason we're talking about it right now is because we're very excited about the fact that we have got solid information that this mine is closing this year um, whether or not it's the final tender we'll have to see but we know that the Argyle mine which produces 90 percent of the world's pink diamonds which represents 0.001 percent of the entire production of that mine is closing and therefore pink diamonds will no longer be coming to the market and we're going to be trying to find the other 10 percent which is nothing and we know that it's closing this year darren we know that the gains in pink diamonds in general at the argyle tender have been up 35 percent on average every single year but let me ask you what would the criteria be for an ideal buyer of a pink diamond. In other words, for those listening and they're saying, hmm, I'm not sure if a pink diamond is for me, what would the criteria be that they would say, yes, I, I should be very much considering this? Well, based on what we know about the, about the demographic of, of the uh, candidates that usually come through our doors and the ones that currently own them, uh, they tend to have disposable income. That's one thing for sure. Pink diamonds are not cheap. I mean, when you're going to buy a Picasso or something as rare in comparison as something like that, even more rare are pink diamonds, uh, you're going to spend some real money. And that is uh, to say that let's assume Picasso was still alive and with us might be a reasonable price for his paintings. But now that he's no longer with us, it's gone through the roof. That is going to be the same comparison we share with a pink diamond. Right now, it's still affordable. Uh, for a person that has disposable income, somebody ideally might be used to investing in real estate projects or likely to be an uh, entrepreneur uh, that has cash built up in his business or her business that is disposable for them to invest in. Um, but again, this is... I, we know it's not for everybody, Jeremy. We know that the ideal person is not going to be found every time we walk around. This is also better for a person who understands that diamonds, unlike gold and silver, are not day liquid. You can't just wake up on a Monday morning and decide you want to sell a diamond and get it done. Generally speaking, they have to be showcased, highlighted. You need to tell the world about your unique, rare item. And again, because it's not like any other piece in the world, that has to be shared with people and put out into the public. So it can take some time to sell that. The ideal candidate who's owning these pink diamonds, he or she understands that very well. Yeah, I think... I think there's different things to look at. I mean, if someone who is, for example, a GIC investor, right, they are willing to sit, have the cash sit on the sidelines, in some cases, five years plus, and accept a meager return. 
now the end date of of a GIC is the end date, right? Uh, with a diamond, you know, maybe you hold on to it for for three, four, five, maybe even ten years. You don't know if it's going to take you three months or two years to sell it, right? Um, does that change? Does that change the gains in the market, Darren? Uh, well, Jeremy, in fact, it doesn't change the gains in the market. These people are looking at the, this from a long-term perspective no matter what. It's not something you buy to flip tomorrow. Uh, although that being said, in the right situation, in particular with Guild Hall, that's happened. I mean, there's no lack of evidence to support that's possible, but... On the whole, an investor buying something like a pink diamond is going to be looking at it from a, a three to five year minimum hold. And that's just because that takes that amount of time to build up in value and to get that story prepared. And that's a pittance in comparison to what it might take to hold on to a GIC or something else, of which lots of people in Canada, Jeremy, especially people listening to the show, they have the disposable income, they just don't want to use it. So this might be an area that A, like you always talk about, makes money at night while you're sleeping. B, allows you to sleep at night because there's no open market for it in which we could wake up in the morning and see that uh, the market has come down or that it's pulled back dramatically. There is no additional vein of pink diamonds that has been found anywhere in the world, and they've been researching that for a long time. And C, being able to sleep at night means that that money rests peacefully in that investment without the need to worry about, did I lose some money or did I get stressed because I need a new truck or anything like that? This is with the seasoned investor or somebody who has the money to spend that wants to come into a new arena. That's right. I think it's not something necessarily just for someone to be really speculative in their mind and say, I don't know much about this. I'm going to put this in and, oh, uh, turn it around. I need the money in two weeks or three months later or two years later. And all of a sudden you realize it's not that type of liquid market in that respect. You were saying just before, Darren, that it's not as though they could just find another vein and, and all of a sudden start mining pink diamonds again. Because that would be a valid question. Someone comes along and says, well, you know, wouldn't they just get another mine somewhere along the road? Like, isn't that part of why I wouldn't want to get involved in this market? Well, oddly enough, Jeremy, I guess the best way to relate this to a person is to say in our office, we hold one of the key pieces of literature written by Eden Rachmanoff, an expert in colored diamonds on the stones themselves and in it he talks about each color of the stone and how scientifically we arrive at those colors from yellow to blues to reds and most of those colors are well understood the science behind them is well understood when he gets to pink it's half the amount of information because scientists quite frankly have not yet discovered what the key ingredients are to making it pink we know if we look at Australia, for example, that it comes from a clay-bearing region or an area with red sand for a layman person, right, where the tones of the ground tend to be related to the color pink. Mm. Uh, therefore, we don't find that very often in any other parts of the world. But what parts of the world really have that same type of topography, that same type of balance, that's uniqueness? This is all part of what Guildhall does in researching and understanding this as an investment. And, um, you know, quite frankly, it's an important part of it because you're not going to find veins like this anywhere else. And they've been trying. You've seen it. We've talked about it uh, ad nauseate sometimes. There has been several multi-billion dollars efforts put through around the world to try and find new veins for pink diamonds. So we know that it's not going to be that easy to just find another Argyle mine. And this one's been in operation for 20-plus for years. Four decades. 
And uh, yeah, round the clock too. Yes. It's one of the largest white mm -hmm. diamond mines. So now let's talk about the money. Let's talk about people who say, yeah, I, I, want, I want to get in on this market. Uh, what are some things that they should look for right out the gate? In other words, not just what they should look for, but maybe things that they should watch out for, what they shouldn't do when getting involved in the colored diamond market. Well, the one most important starting point would be to partner with somebody that you can look to as an industry leader, somebody that you can form a trust relationship with, and somebody that has a history of dealing in pink diamonds. Uh, again, we can point to Guild Hall that can give all and provide all of that to a potential client, but that is the first place you start. If you do not work with somebody currently, then this is the place you need to look because ultimately you need to be working with somebody you can trust and build a relationship with to both buy and sell that diamond through. Secondly, Jeremy, you want to isolate the criteria with which we use to justify what type of pink diamond you should be buying. Is it safe to say that I can go out and buy a pink diamond from any dealer anywhere in the world and it's going to have the same type of value? It's not, and that's no. an open-ended question, but you know the answer to it. You have to work with somebody who challenges the norm. What Guild Hall has done is gone well beyond what the industry does. Most of the big players in the industry who do bring pink diamonds to market they don't give much thought to the clarity of the diamond. They don't give much thought to all of the various four C's of the diamond. Guildhall has, and we've established by doing that, industry norms, which have both originally back in the early days kind of almost shot us in the foot in terms of our partnerships with people and working to make this understood more as an investment versus just a connoisseur thing or an item to be held because of its rarity, um, a collectible, if you will. And going forward now in this day and age, people around the world know Guildhall. They understand that the clarity is important. They understand that we only take a certain type of pink, and it's why we have such a difficult time getting those to our clients, and it's why they're more expensive, because we want to get back the top notch in terms of return and invested dollars getting back to our clients in whatever capacity, whether that's starting at a forty, fifty thousand dollars diamond or whether that's a million-plus dollar diamond is most important to us. Yeah, I think the big key, there's probably two big key things that separate Guildhall and Guildhall Diamonds from other type of diamond uh dealers and that is one our focus on the clarity of the diamond not only have we focused on the color the strength of color but also the clarity pink diamonds don't tend to be internally flawless like the rarer blue colors or even yellow diamonds but we still want to be as close to that as possible rather than just going for si which are you can see the inclusions with the naked eye the only time that you get those exceptions of si ex included diamonds is if the diamond is very large and very strong in color. That's that's the exception to the rule. Otherwise, you really want to have something that has better, better clarity as much as you can because that's what's increasing the rarity. So as a result, we've seen diamonds go, you know, Darren, I can remember 2011 clients buying, you know, a 0 .30 intense VVS for $20,000. I don't think you could buy them for less than $50,000 today. Um, what type of numbers could people be looking at potentially over the next decade? 
Well, look at the the conservative approach, which is to say, what have the last 10 years produced? And look at it from the cost perspective for Guildhall. Even buying with partners, even when it's not a stone that was in the tender, just a regular um, um, uh, stone found throughout the year in the mini tenders that they have, just a stone that meets or exceeds our criteria, even those stones at bare minimum, 15% to 20% per year uh, on the even stones that cost 40 or 50,000 early on. Now, fast forward to 2020, that's up there. And again, I don't want to read too much in it because next year is going to be a big year and we have to reset the industry. Uh, but gains are being discussed in the area of as much as 100% over the next 36 months because the mainstream is going to become aware of this, the end of this. And I think something that we can talk about in the next segment here, Darren, is this idea that because Guildhall has focused on really high quality pink diamonds, and I know we're talking about pinks and there's other colored diamonds to deal with, but just because of the closing of the mine, we want to stick with that for a moment. The fact that where does the where does the supply for for new investors come from over the next decade? So let's talk about that in the next segment. The website guildhallwealth.com. Go to visit, see some of the diamonds. We've got some up on our YouTube channel at Guildhall Wealth on YouTube. You can see some of the diamonds that uh, we've had over the years, um, videos of them, as well as some jewelry that we've had created. Beautiful, beautiful pieces there. The number one eight seven seven eight silver. And we will talk a little bit more about diamonds and then get into precious metals in a little bit as well. You're listening to The Real Money Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to The Real Money Show, the website, guildhallwealth.com, and the phone number, one eight seven seven eight silver We've been talking a little bit today about natural fancy colored diamonds, specifically pink diamonds, as we now have confirmation that the Argyle mine, which produces 90% of the world's pink diamonds, is closing this year in 2020. And so we were just talking about the gains that we've seen in this market, average gains outside of these massive tender diamonds is been in around 15, 20% a year. This is an interesting market, Darren, in so much as the more you invest, the rarer the diamond you're buying, the actual bigger the increase in gains. Well, that's also true, Jeremy. And again, it begs the question, uh, you know, is this is this a similar experience that you have throughout, uh, you know, every diamond you buy? And it's not. Pink diamonds right now could arguably be even hotter than blues. And we don't get any reds because there are only about 50 reds in the world. Uh, so arguably there's not really a lot out there that's being focused on like the pinks right now. And that's the setup for what is about to transpire and the closing at mine once it's made official and investors make changes and Rio Tinto's you know involved in all kinds of different mining projects all around the world none of which are producing pink diamonds of course and the realization that this truly value valuable rarity is coming to a close and it's a once in a lifetime final offer uh, there is going to be some heads that turn because of this in the mainstream and it's only going to take one or two real big investors who say, give me four or five of them, give me 10 of them, notable ones, maybe a few of the hero stones get flipped and you hear about that in a PR piece or something before you start to recognize that what's just happened is Picasso's died. And that's now going to make it the most rarest piece in the world. And so you talked about in the last segment about the changes structurally to the diamond industry with this mine closing, specifically for colored diamond dealers dealing in pink diamonds. 
And I know um, that there was an article from the uh, Fancy Color Research Foundation, I guess about maybe a year, year and a half ago, that discussed this idea that really it starts to become about the secondary market because there's nowhere else to get the product. And so it's interesting to note that over the years, Guildhall has only acquired VS and better quality pink diamonds. So in fact, our clients have become a great resource, I believe, down the road. Well, some have already decided to make that jump and that leap into the selling side, and some have already sold. But by and large, this is the main reason why we have talked about the long term. And when we were putting out the offer of a pink diamond to an investor four, five, eight, ten years ago, this was the main reason why we were discussing being patient because we knew this time would come. We never had any doubt. We had had um, the former head of PR, Mrs. Johnson, on our show, and she had discussed with you in the interview that you had one-on-one with her about the mine. And again, they danced around the question of closing. They didn't want to talk about it. But in all honesty, going forward, the only resource we will have for Pink Diamonds are existing. And we're not going to be looking to go to some other dealer's clients. We're not going to be going to some other type of market around the world where we don't know the product. We would rather draw from our own product. And it is limited. We only have so much to draw from. There are only so many Pink Diamonds out there. Uh, sometimes people may get the impression that when we talk about it, it's more plentiful than it really is. There are only, I mean, overall in the 15 years or so that we've been doing it, I would say, what, less than 100? There's not a lot out there, right? Give or take, right? So these are really rare instruments, and they're going to be great in terms of where we can go to, and that's the resource. That's where the patient kicks in. You talked about the criteria and type of buyer, Jeremy. That's another part of that criteria. If you're buying now, you do have to be patient. You do have to hang on to it for the next four, five, eight years, and that's worth it if you understand that from day one. But what a time to hold on to something, right? Uh, during this this time of economic upheaval, the financial structure that's you know in the economy, um, we're we're living through some very interesting times. Not understanding value, governments printing money like crazy. We don't know what the markets are going to look like, um, you know, in the next several years. Oh, they say the economy is opening up, but there's there's devastation through all sorts of industries, um, airlines, restaurants, uh, travel, all of those sorts of things. Um, you know, sports, you know, no one's going to stadiums, stadiums, right? So they're going to be suffering over the next few years. Um, let's talk about some opportunities that, that are out there. I'm looking at two in particular. One, we have a fancy, vivid, purplish pink diamond. That's 0.72. It's a VS1, and uh, this is an Argyle diamond. Uh, I believe this was a, a recut diamond, so they they cut the diamond to make it even better than what had originally come out. And this, Darren, is a diamond that currently would be selling for, give or take, about 750000 Canadian. It's probably appraised comfortably over a million. And... What kind of gains do you think over the next 10 years someone could expect? I'm not going to hold you to it. I'm not going to say, let's pull out the crystal ball. But (laughs) given the mine's closing, given what you've seen in the past with other diamonds, if someone were to put in 750 into a diamond like this today, what could they expect in several years? 
Well, the significance of that question, Jeremy, is found in two particular areas which will help us to get to the end answer. One, how rare is a 0.72 pink diamond? extremely rare so it's already rare to begin with finding a diamond close to one carat is going to set that price and value on fire so going forward after all of this transpires the mine closes there are no more diamonds coming out of the ground to find an argyle diamond that's close to a carat well you'll have to take our word for it but if you do your due diligence like you should you will find that that is an extremely rare Argyle find. So it's already rare to begin with, but it's even rarer with inside of that. The second point to make, Jeremy, is that 750 is a pittance to pay for something like that right now. There's risk associated with holding that diamond. We took that risk. We did that work as Guild Hall. But paying 750000 for a diamond like that, it is more than likely that diamond will double in value over the next 10 years. And that is a conservative estimate, bar none. I think that the likelihood that it goes higher than that is also there and under the right conditions if we look at what has happened over the last 10 years with little to no fanfare in the mainstream media with a supply of diamonds in place 30 to 35 percent per year is what the norm was for diamonds of that caliber so seeing it go forward in the next 10 years at 30 to 35 per year i mean do the math that's 300 percent. yeah you're there and and also don't forget this is a market that has seen no volatility Pink diamonds have had no volatility. Mm. There's never been anyone who's ended up really. I can't. I can't think of anyone, especially at Guildhall, but I can't think of any stories from any other dealers that have sold pink diamonds for less than they ever purchased them. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, they can. They can afford to hold on to them, and it's not a market like the real estate market that's loaded up with with leverage and debt that will create that type of volatility. If people can afford them, they purchase them with with the with natural fancy colored diamonds so if you want to learn more about natural fancy colored diamonds we do have a natural fancy colored diamond guide we also have a booklet uh, for what to look for if you're looking to buy uh, so a purchasing guide it's sort of 10 rules to follow and of course you can go to the website and view some of the diamonds and you can contact us to also discuss the diamond market and potentially set up a meeting where you can view the diamonds in person. The number one eight seven seven eight silver. The website guildhallwealth.com. Darren, I think it's time to talk about some of the metals markets and what's happening with that. And we'll do that right after the break. You're listening to the Real Money Show on Global News Radio six forty Toronto. Welcome back to the Real Money Show. The website guildhallwealth.com. All things hard assets. And the number one eight seven seven eight silver. Now, Darren, we were talking about pink diamonds, the closing of the mind. I don't want to ignore the other colors like greens, which are fantastic, as well as yellows. I think just given the fact that the the mine was closing, we want to really talk about the pink diamond market. Um, interesting. Just during the break, you were saying that uh, this mine, although responsible for ninety percent of the world's pinks, is actually responsible for ten percent of the world's white diamonds. Which you can see that leading to some good things for the white diamond market as well. Um, we'll talk about yellow diamonds in, in shows to come. Uh, this is one of those things where the rising tide is going to lift all boats, I believe. But let's get into the the market of gold and silver. Just before the show, Darren, I was talking to Paul. You know, we had an order in, uh, I think, last week or the week before on kilo bars of silver, which are 32.15 ounces. It's the sort of bar that bridges the gap between, you know, a small denomination like 10-ounce bars and larger product like 100-ounce bars. And we've already sort of uh, blown through 
that inventory and now we're going to be stuck waiting for when we get a next shipment in and this is really an indication of what we've seen in this market over the last few months and it doesn't look like it's going to be letting up anytime soon does it it doesn't and ultimately although we're seeing on one website which is the Royal Canadian Mint a very clear bold banner stating they are back to 100% full production what they don't tell you is that 100% full production is of the facilities that they're using to produce one-third of those facilities are still devoted to creating other things and doing other things right now of which at last check in the early stages of the pandemic were hand sanitizer creation so of the facilities they have devoted to precious metals 100% back to full capacity but a little bit misleading to say the least so it's a little bit still like uh, what we're seeing in the in the gold and silver market it's still a little bit like the toilet paper market and That's right. Clorox wipes mm -hmm. um, um, still kind of tough to, to get a whole bunch of. That's right, and it will be for some time to come. And again, because we're here in Canada, we always look to that product first as our mainstay. It has been, and we've given guidance on that particular product as experts in product, uh, that that product would be uh, the product of choice for us as a firm. And we sell more of Royal Canadian Mint products than any other product. Oh my gosh, I thought you were going to say Clorox. <laughs> One wipe of choice, Clorox, absolutely. And uh, followed secondly only by the yellow container, which I won't bring up because I don't want to give anybody else any advertising but I like the scent of the lemon ones a lot. okay but here here's the thing I, one thing that I've noticed we talked a little bit last week I want to mention it again because you know a year or two ago I think anyone buying metals could kind of have their choice of product um, in registered accounts they were buying exclusively Royal Canadian mint gold hundred ounce bars ten ounce bars that is no longer the case it's now a case of what is actually available and of course we stick with LBMA approved product which means products that are uh, globally recognized they're producing a certain amount um, and they all meet the same quality criteria and they're sourcing their product ethically yes. but you don't have your pick of the litter anymore in terms of product uh, name brand. you do not and we will not for some time to come and the market will remain tight two things at play one they are filling the orders that have already been given and are now way behind on. So even though many people have uh, tempered their expectations with what they have available, they had to fill the demand somehow. And so they had to bring in other products that are LBMA approved. And you'll see that over time it will change. There could be other suppliers that come online. And really what this is going to come down to is there's going to be a necessity to understand, like Guildhall does and our expertise relates to this, the supply chain and that's what really comes down to because the pandemic what it did more than anything was it interrupted the supply chain at every level from the mines raw product right through to the ability of the fabricators to deliver out to the wholesalers the wholesalers to the dealers the dealers to the clients yeah you were um, you were just talking about Royal Canadian Mint and that oh they're at full production but they're still not at full production in a they're sense not. misleading and um, I just saw an article from Steve San Angelo who we interviewed on the show about maybe a month and a half ago um, and he was mentioning Peru and that after COVID they were kind of getting back up to speed because they were down 70% on their production and he just wrote an article showing that they're not getting back up to full capacity at all they've actually come run into some stumbling blocks so there's still that supply chain issue uh, as well so the next big move into the market could be a big big issue which leads me to ask you a question Darren 
you know, we've seen some great gains this year, silver up 30% range. Um, should people be thinking about selling? Again, the question of selling early is always an interesting one, Jeremy, because ultimately you have to give some form of help and support to your client. They need to be their own self-directed leaders. We need to help them get there to that point. Educating them is important. Selling early, if it's best for the client to take profit off the table, they should be selling early. I agree with it 100%. I'm not your planner or advisor, so please take that into consideration when you make that decision. But I have nothing wrong with selling early, provided you've understood what selling early means. Do I sell right now? Probably not, right? There's a lot more of this left. We have legs in this arena. Lack of supply and lower prices don't go in hand in hand. There is no evidence historically whatsoever in 50, 60 years to support the idea that prices in gold and silver have fallen, precariously fallen, much lower in a situation where there has been a lack of supply. It has always gone higher. In 2008 to 2011, that 36 month stretch like we're about to have right now, the price of silver went from 850 all the way to 49. So I don't expect that to happen at all. Selling early is something you have to consider when you're happy. Don't be one of those people who holds on too long. Yeah, it certainly looks like we're filling in the gaps right now and we're ready. We'll be uh, looking at much, much higher prices in the future. The website, guildhallwealth.com, the phone number, 18778Silver. Here at Guildhall, everything we do is physical product. If you can hold it in your hand, it's real. That's how it works. If you can't hold it, you don't own it. We put it into registered accounts as well. So contact us, buy it direct, store it with us, or put it into an RSP or TFSA. On behalf of Darren Long, I'm Jeremy Wiseman. It's been a pleasure being with you this week. You've been listening to The Real Money Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The preceding program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.